Welcome to the Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Dustin Fuse and I are recording this podcast on Wednesday, July 25th. Um, it's been a busy couple of weeks for the Universal Parks, Dustin. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. From you know news coming out for Halloween to news of you know just day to day theme park stuff in Orlando and in Hollywood, it's it's actually been a really fun couple of weeks. Well, I, fun would I, I don't know. Fun would be the word that the people who were at uh, Universal this past Saturday night would describe the, the the ninety minute wait for them to get back to their cars. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we start with that sure. story? All right. As I understand it, I'm, 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 I've been able to puddle this together from police reports and press accounts. Back on Saturday, July twentieth, at around eight thirty p.m. A motorist who was driving by on I-4, and I, I have to assume, Dustin, that this he had to be westbound, you know, because, you know, those are the lanes that are closest to the Universal Orlando Resort's two massive yep. parking garages. But anyway, this motorist reaches out to the Orlando police and reportedly tells a, a representative that they've spied someone high up on one of the parking garages with a rifle. And... Okay, so immediately the Orlando police contact security officers at the Universal Orlando Resort, and then acting out of an abundance of caution, the Universal team members then stop all guests who are on the walkways headed back to their cars in the two massive parking garages. And with the idea is that they wanted to give the Orlando police and Universal's own security team the time necessary to do a full sweep of the the two parking garages you know what is it uh, four or five floors i, I i'm forgetting yeah they're they're significant uh uh pieces of uh architecture that's for sure <laughs> yeah and so again that they they're attempting to seek out if this is true whether or not there's an individual with a rifle up there by 10 p.m., when no person with a rifle is found in either garage, the, the lockdown uh, is lifted and guests are then allowed to return their cars. And um, Universal and the Orlando Police Department have, have been relatively quiet about the incident since then. <sighs> Dustin, forgive me for saying this, but I, you know, it was one of these things when I heard that somebody driving by at 830 saw somebody with a rifle up on the, the parking garage at Universal, I couldn't help but think, wait a minute, 8.30, Orlando, that's starting to get dark. And mm-hmm. I actually checked to find find out when the sun went down on, on you know, on July, Saturday, July 20th. And it turns out you, any one of us can do it. I'm going to just Google sundown, you know, Orlando, July 20th. And what you get is that sunset happened at 8.23, Sure. Look, I don't want to say hoax. I, you know, I'm going to lean in the direction of maybe a well-meaning individual who spied something in the dwindling light. But yeah, you know, that's that. I just feel bad for the yep. the thousands of people who were held in that area. In fact, the interesting thing is you can go on Twitter and see, you know, all, all these videos that folks took where they're they're standing body to body and they don't have a whole lot of info. And they're wondering what's going on and why can't I get to my car? Anyway, I tell you what, let's let's shift to a happier story here. In fact, you you were nice enough out ahead of today when we were recording today. You you'd found all this 
great video of the grand opening of uh, Jurassic World The Ride over at uh, Universal Studios Hollywood. Now, <laughs> what's kind of interesting is that this attraction's officially been open since June 21st. Is that right? I, I want to say. Yeah, the, the official and unofficial and Twitter and Facebook accounts of it's open, it's closed, it's open, it's in soft open, uh, was very confusing for a lot of people. And when we were trying to figure out, okay, what's the grand opening? When are they going to you know have all the grand opening merchandise and everything like that? There really wasn't anything. Uh, we knew that there was going to be a grand opening uh, like ceremony when they were going to bring out the stars of the film. But to flick that switch between it's in soft open to it's open uh, basically happened by way of a Facebook post on the, the Universal Studios Hollywood page where they basically just said it's open. Very, very funny for locals who, and let's be honest, Universal Studios Hollywood is very local uh, driven by a lot of their, their attendants. And most people were like, oh, it's open. I'm going to go tomorrow. But it was the people who were huge Jurassic World fans that were like, I want to be there very, very soon because it's, it's going to be awesome. But there was no specific date. I, I, I can't help but, you know, do, do you remember when Bob Iger was talking about he was so confident in how Galaxy's Edge was going to do that they weren't actually going to buy any television conversions. They were going to do the same thing. They were just going to put you know something out on Twitter and Facebook like, it's open. Yeah, and just flick the switch and, you know, it would do all the marketing itself. I, you know, I just, I, I wonder what that means in the, the, the bigger scheme of things that Universal did that with Jurassic World. Well, anyway, all right, all right back to the, to the grand opening the other night. Sure. This was Monday, uh, July 22nd, and uh, we had, as you mentioned, uh, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, as well as uh, Jurassic Park director uh, Colin Trevoror. But again, you, you've been eyeballing all of the uh, the videos that were taken that night. And there was a nice, you get a moment that, you know, Chris Pratt sort of channeled his character from the Jurassic World movies and basically what horse whispered the the walk around blue you know blue the raptor character from the parks but you caught something i guess much funnier when they they the actual opening moment when they they exploded all the fireworks yeah and uh for people who have been at universal and disney grand openings you always have to anticipate that there's going to be some sort of a fireworks display Unfortunately, they didn't really tell Bryce Dallas Howard about it um, or didn't give her a clue or a sign, you know, nose tap or something like that. Be like, hey, just an FYI, this is going to happen because she's getting set for this amazing photo op with Blue and everyone. And then all of a sudden, probably, what, 15, 20 feet behind her, this huge display of fireworks just shoots off. And in every video that I watched, you could hear the audible uh, scream that she put out. And, you know, I, I feel for her because I have been that close to fireworks before, uh, especially the, the large ones. Anytime you're at, uh, you know, Illuminations or Magic Kingdom or really any sort of fireworks display, they, they pack a little bit of a punch and you don't really get that from a video. But seeing her uh, go through that motion of, What's that was so awesome. 
And she laughed it off like a pro, oh, which was great. Good. Okay, here's hoping that perhaps in the gift bag they gave her as she was leaving, there was, you know, a fresh pair of Jurassic World undies. Anyway, uh, let's see. Okay, so we're talking about Chris Pratt sort of horse whispering the uh, walk-around version of, of Blue. And uh, you and I talked on a, a previous Universal Joy podcast about the walk-arounds that are done, uh, the new walk-arounds that would... Yeah, Juliet. Yep. Juliet, the um, the uh, Stegosaurus, no, Triceratops. There we go. And, and the interesting thing is that the, one of the reasons these things look as good as they do is that they were built by the, the puppeteers that work uh, with Michael Curry. Uh, Michael Curry, for, for those of folks who don't know, he's the gentleman who did the puppets for The Lion King on Broadway. Uh, he did the amazing puppets for Finding Nemo the Musical at Disney's Animal Kingdom. If you've been in the Universal Parks and seen those amazing Transformer walkarounds, those are Michael's work as well. It, it's kind of interesting, you know, that that I think the the thing that Michael's best known for these days is that amazing Maleficent the Dragon Float from the Festival of Fantasy Parade at, at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. But the interesting thing is when you do something that's that big, that you know is you know lumbering down Main Street USA. Uh, it has to have a good, strong silhouette that you can see from a distance. And yes. the interesting thing, you know, you were talking about Blue and Juliet, is that these, you have to go the exact opposite. The, because guests are going to be, you know, they are doing these up-close, meet-and-greet, photo-op, selfie kind of moments. They have to be great from inches away. And so, you know, Michael's team did things like, concentrated on making believably leathery skin or you know very attentive you know eyes that you know that would sort of take you in as you're standing there and well while we're talking about eyes um you know that that's this this kind of makes me sad this bit of news uh, just what is it uh, back on the 19th despicably minion mayhem at universal studios florida has joined the list of attractions that has gone from 3D to 2D. And, you know, I mean, we talked about this at a previous show, uh, Dustin, that, Mm -hmm. you know, some of this is, you know, uh, it's ease of use. I mean, some of it's financially based. You'd no longer have to, you know, have a cast member there distributing glasses or collecting them at the end of the show. Uh, Likewise, you know, the cleaning of them with that sort of thing. And also, you know, some of this also has to deal with, you know, all those guests out there who wear glasses or have contacts. And, yep. you know, the 3D glasses just don't work the way that they're supposed to. But I don't know. You know, the, just I'm, I'm there's a part of me that's kind of sad to see this go. You know, I remember talk, sure. talking with Mike West, the former Imagineer, who's done such amazing work for Universal Creative and. You know, he, he just, he loved that. Oh, minion goggles. That's what these are. You know, so, um, Which we actually, I think we still have that list going. Because mm-hmm. the last time we talked about this, you had your list of all the different attractions and what the glasses were called. This is true. This so, is true. you know, this, this is one of those things that, folks, you have to go back and listen to some of the uh, uh, first couple of uh, Universal Joint podcasts. Because... We go through a lot of these things, and they're all callbacks because it's it's such an awesome thing to look back at. You know when we were right, yeah. and the when it went from three D to two D, the conversation that we you know discussed about the the guest issues and the the cost and that kind of thing. 
the end of the day, if the same experience can be had with a three with a two D versus a three D, then that's where it's going to end up going. Yeah, I, uh, I, but yeah, three D is it's still close to close to my heart. Yeah. Well, anyway, while we're 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 touching on Universal Studios Florida again. Okay, we're, this show is going uh, going to be posted online July 31st, which is just five weeks and three days till the Universal Orlando version of Halloween Horror Night starts on September 6th. And while Dustin and I were away uh, back on July 18th, we learned, in, you know, again, there's been a rumor out there, but, you know, that, that there were so many of us just like, God, they can't actually do this. This is wishful thinking. <laughs> but we're going to get a Ghostbusters maze. Um, which I, I kind of stuns me, you know. Um, I, you know, I, I've I've loved this franchise since I saw the first film in theaters back in June of '84. Um, mm-hmm. you know, not so much a fan of the the second film, but you know, the, loved the animated series, and I I even found a lot to like about the all female rethink redo in 2016 and. Yeah, the one with yeah, and and you know, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but the next uh, you know sort of reimagining of the series, Ghostbusters twenty twenty is now shooting up in Alberta, which which just around the corner from your place, Dustin. Is that correct? Or or... yeah, I think it's like a three day drive Ah, from me. If if you really want to make that drive. Um, and now, interesting to me that the, the uh, one of the, the gentlemen in the cast of uh, Ghostbusters 2020, which, by the way, is being shot and uh, written and directed by Jason Reitman, who is the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the, the first film. But we've got Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things. And now, when we were pre-gaming, you were mentioning that the Ghostbusters maze is going to be going into Soundstage 22, is that correct? Or? Yeah, and then from there, because that was the old Stranger Things from last year, uh, but as we're taking that next step towards adding additional Stranger Things elements, which is going to be uh, 2 and 3, uh, it, it makes sense that they're outgrowing that space. So it's almost like a domino effect. They, when something really works, the next year they'll give it more space. They'll they'll move things around. But yeah, it looks like it's going into soundstage hmm, twenty two. Interesting. I'm I'm wondering. You know, do we know yet where the the Saint Stranger Things maze for this year's Halloween Horror Night is going? The talk over on the InsideUniversal.net forums is that it's going to be over at sta- soundstage twenty five. Um, but as we're, you know, we're getting closer to that time period where you're actually going to see construction uh, go full stream ahead and, you know, actors being hired and a lot of the, the marketing is going to start to show up a little bit more prevalent seems though we're, you know, a week out of uh, August. It's, it's right around the corner. So as these things start to be more evident, just keep an eye out to our favorite Twitter account over at BioReconstruct, because I'm sure that he'll do flyovers. <laughs> well, you know, the, but the thing with the soundstage is unless he crashes to the roof, you know, it just we're not going to get any decent info that way. I, I don't know. Very just true. what kind of intrigues me is that the, the scuttlebutt is that this year's Stranger Things maze is going to blend 
story elements from Stranger Things 2 and Stranger Things 3, which, given that Stranger Things 3 features a full-sized 1980s mall as well as a a fun fair, you know, a, a, you know, it's just sort of, you know, maybe they just needed more space to be able to pull this stuff off. Mm-hmm. And to do both two and three at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there's questions that go through my head of, okay, what will that transition look look like mm-hmm. uh, when you're actually going through the mazes when they flick that switch between two and three, mm-hmm. but. I'm more excited about what was announced just yesterday, Mm -hmm. that uh, the killer clowns are back. Oh, oh, okay. Yes, I can, honestly, they had perhaps the best scare zone at uh, Universal Orlando last year. So in much the same way that uh, in 2017, we had the trick-or-treat scare zone, which then got promoted to a full-blown house in 2018. Uh, here we go. The Cheeto Brothers 1988 film uh, gets its very own full-blown maze. And uh, I'll be working this out in therapy for, for a bunch of years now. <laughs> um, I, just to d- double back, though, for um, a quick moment. You know, oh, sure. Well, I, I'm just thinking they did such a nice job of propping killer clowns from outer space the scare zone last year they, i'm hoping that some of those elements turn up in the maze but likewise to, to, to sort of pivot back to ghostbusters i mean think about it there was the ghostbuster uh spooktacular attraction that operated at universal studios florida from when the park opened in 1990 uh through 1996 and then after that came uh, the Twister attraction uh, went into the yep. same building, and I think Fallon's there now. Um, I, it's always fascinated me that, you know, in fact, I, I've got concept art from the original version of the Great Movie Ride for Disney MGM Studios that shows that for a time, the Ghostbusters were supposed to be a significant part of that attraction and in fact uh the particular moment that they wanted to do was having you know your your giant movie theater car you know roll across the rooftop from the finale of that film and you know to your right was going to be the ghostbusters you know firing up their proton packs and then to your left mm-hmm. a giant animatronic version of the stafe puff marshmallow man was to show up and and they were then supposed to fire you know uh their weapons over your head and you know and, and the weird thing is that disney spent so much time designing it when they really, really should have maybe you know, talked to the lawyers first and had them pursue the rights to that 1984 Columbia film, because Universal got in there ahead of them and snagged the rights. And um, just doesn't that sound very familiar to another, you know, boy wizard? Ooh, that's an interesting point. Um, okay, <laughs> wow. All right, you know, which which. You know, and again, uh, when Universal scored the rights to Harry Potter, that that turned on a, a, a spigot of cash that poured out of the parks and resorts. And speaking of, of the parks making money, uh, literally 15 minutes before Dustin and I sat down to start recording today, um, Comcast uh, released its earning reports for the second quarter of 2019. 
And it turns out the, the revenue that the Universal Parks and Resorts earned during that period increased by 7.5%, of bumping up to $1.5 billion in earnings. So what's interesting is Comcast wanted to frame that, you know, to the effect of like, look, you know, uh, this keyed off of higher attendance at the parks and increased guest spending. But to be honest, a lot of that happened because of, you know, the way the calendar, uh, you know, worked in this quarter, the the way that spring break uh, fell, you know, in a number of different territories in the country. And so there was higher attendance and more earnings just because of that, not because anything they'd done. I mean, face it, Hagrid's had yet to open at that point. There wasn't anything really firing mm-hmm. that. Uh, though, uh, speaking of other ways that the, that Universal is going to be boosting its earnings, you, uh, what entry fees, right? That that's that's what you'd like to talk about now, Dustin. Yeah, um, running Universal. Uh, so we talked about running Universal back when the trademark was actually filed. So we were trying to figure out, okay, what, what is it going to be? Is it going to try to compete with run Disney? Is it going to be on both coasts? Well, after the success of the uh, despicable me uh, running universal event, we have a new uh, event that's coming November 16th and 17th of 2019. And it's the running universal featuring Jurassic world. This is going to be so much fun. So looking at the, uh, the, the initial uh, advertising that came out from this, and if you guys haven't seen it, go over to YouTube. Um, brilliant. What happens is a gentleman is running up to a, uh, a table to get some water, and he looks down, and all of the water has the same uh, effect that happened in the movie when, Jurassic, when the, the T-Rex was coming by. Funniest thing that you can imagine, I think, when you're looking at a running activity, why wouldn't you want to run away from a T-Rex? So they they really got that right. Uh, just a little bit of info going into it. So it looks like the event, um, they have a 5K that's happening on Saturday, November 16th. Starts at 6 o'clock in the morning. Then they have the 10K going on Sunday, November 17th, starting at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, just like Disney, they have all of the different um, packages and pricing. Uh, the 5K starts at 75 bucks, goes up to a, um, a, a all-day play package, which actually includes general admission to uh, to one of the parks. Uh, that goes at 169. They have a 10K uh, starting at uh, 109, going up to 203. They have the challenge, which is both, uh, which no but i get it if you really want to run 15 kilometers over two days i'm just gonna sit back and enjoy my uh i was gonna say dole whip but enjoy my butter beer and enjoy everything all those cupcakes that voodoo all amazing stuff so enjoy uh the challenges uh they also have the 1k for the kids uh, and that's on Saturday at 7.30 in the morning. There's a lot of information. Head over to runninguniversal.com and definitely check out that advertisement because seeing uh, the look on the faces of the runners as they're in the Jurassic World you know, race, realizing, oh, wow, there's a, uh, a T-Rex right in front of me and I got to go the other way. That sounds like a clever end. 
Um, I, look, uh, my pal Dana did the uh, the initial uh, running Universal event, and so enjoyed it. You know that you know talked up how much fun it was to sort of you know run around the back lot and that sort of thing, and get to see you know stuff that you you know, you you've driven by for years and uh and you know it, for me you know again it's it's not so much what's there but what's used to be there and tell you what folks when we get back uh from this commercial break we'll talk about something that used to be on the tram tour uh out in hollywood and that is the battle of galactica all right, and we're back. And look, here on the Universal Joint Podcast, we like to keep you up to speed on attractions that have just opened at the Universal Parks. So, you know, we've we've Dustin and I have talked at length about Hagrid's Magical Creature Motorbike Adventure. Any new developments in that front, by the way? Uh, it, it's been quiet, which is actually a very good sign for their operations team. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are still getting on, still getting, you know, the the thrill of going through that experience. And, you know, as long as there isn't a lot of rain issues, which, you know, we're in Florida and it's going to happen. Uh, I'm just hoping that, as you said before, it's all about the next uh, month or so to really make sure that there's no operational issues going into the fall because as soon as um star uh star wars galaxy's edge opens up it'll be a uh, a different story this is true um we also like to talk about uh attractions that are under construction uh like that raptor themed coaster that's being built along the edge of uh yeah, islands adventure lagoon just in front of the jurassic park discovery center and we do have track for that. So track has been spotted. It looks like it's going to be a uh, a dark color, mm-hmm. uh, black. You know, it, it's it'll look really good when it's in that section. Um, but until we see, uh, you know, the track going into that area, it's all just uh, just hearsay and uh, a lot of internet sleuthing, which I am a huge fan of. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, but but on occasion we also like to take a look at ride shows and attractions, and no longer at the Universal Parks. And as I mentioned, that includes the uh, Battle of Galactica, which debuted as part of the Universal Studios tram tour forty years ago uh, during the summer of '79. Um, look, it, it's it's not going to surprise you to hear this, Dustin, but you know, Battlestar Galactica, the Universal produced TV series that inspired the Battle of Galactica sequence in uh, Hollywood's Tram Tour, was inspired by the enormous success of Star Wars. But here's the thing: the folks at Universal took uh, how well Episode Four, A New Hope, did at the box office during the summer of '77, especially hard. You see. Universal had had the option to make Star Wars uh, as the follow-up to George Lucas's American Graffiti, which George made for Universal Pictures and, and was then released to theaters in August of 73. Um, in May of that year, Lou Wasserman, the then head of Universal Pictures, turned down the opportunity to make The Star Wars, that's what it was called back then, The Star Wars, because Universal, over the past two and three years, it had two sci-fi films that hadn't really done all that well at the box office. There was uh, Colossus the Forbin Project, with Universal Pictures released to theaters in April of 1970, 
And then Silent Running, uh, which Universal uh, released theatrically in March of 72. By the way, these are both fine films, by the way. Great, you know, late 60s, early 70s sci-fi films. But, you know, okay. for one reason or another, didn't connect with, with audiences. But anyway, Lou was a guy who, you know, just saw that as a pattern. And, uh, you know, so it's like, okay, I, 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 we, we, for some reason, don't make, you know, audio, you know, sci-fi films that connect with audiences here at Universal and he also after he read the 12 page outline that George had put together uh, he found the whole concept a little strange that's evidently a direct quote from Lou it's like Wookiee I I don't know and so and and Wasserman more to the point wanted Lucas's follow-up to American Graffiti to be a little more consequential a little more conventional I mean he figured that if people showed up for American Graffiti he wanted you know, something less out of this world, you know. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, May 1977, Star Wars Episode for A New Hope debuts in theater. And Universal, of course, releases, realizes, you know, too late what they missed out on. And, and then, like everybody else in the business, Disney included, remember we got that, that wonderful cinematic masterpiece, The Black Hole, also came out in 79, you know, so they're, they're hurrying to get a Star Wars-like project of their own. And so here comes Gary Larson, uh, or excuse me, Glenn A. Larson, who had been sort of kicking around an idea for a show that at, at various points was called Adam's Ark. Uh, you know, just this, this sort of telling, you know, vaguely biblical story, but in a futuristic science fiction setting. Anyway... Universal cuts a deal with uh, with Glenn and initially what Glenn really wanted to do and it's kind of interesting to look back at it from what they wanted to do versus what happened Glenn you know it, because again to live in our age now where you have things like Stranger Things where you have you know a series that literally were run for 10 episodes or 8 episodes or whatever you know a limited series rather than, you know, something that's on seven, eight, ten years. What Larson initially wanted to do was what he called the television event. Uh, he wanted to do a trio of TV movies. And so, you know, in September of 1978, what eventually began to be known as the Battlestar Galactica pilot, the saga of a star world, <laughs> you know, just... Wow, <laughs> oh, you can hear on. the Lucas, you know, literally that the noise you hear was the, the sound of the 20th Century Fox and Lucasfilm lawyers you know, getting in their cars you know, to drive over to Universal. Anyway, show was 148 minutes. Uh, that's two hours and 28 minutes of airtime. And, you know, but here's the thing. Uh, Saga of a Star World cost $7 million to make. To put that in perspective, the original Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope cost $11 million to make. Uh, this Battlestar Galactica pilot was the most expensive television program ever made up until that time. Anyway, we jump ahead two weeks, uh, or excuse me, the, the very next week, and Lost Planet of the Gods, which was supposed to be the second Battlestar Galactica TV movie out of the proposed trilogy. But here's Universal looking at how much is this costing? You know, and it's like, oh, no, we're not doing this as a series of movies. We have to make more money off of this. You you need to do this as a conventional television series. So literally, as the second movie is airing, Larson announces that uh, they're going to be transforming 
Battlestar Galactica into a weekly series, you know, with, you know, traditional hour-long episodes. Uh, anyway, other side of the fence in uh, MCA Recreation. Uh, this is the arm of Universal that's in charge of the theme parks. Jay Stein sees the Battlestar Galactica sets, you know, uh, you know, walks into the sound stages, walk, you know, sees these things being made, and it's like, oh, my God, the folks who come to the park are going to love this. We need to put something on the tram tour that, you know, that, that plays up Battlestar Galactica. And so he turns to his team at, at MCA Recreation, and they're like, Jay, you understand that during the summer, during the height of the summer season when it's the busiest, we are putting trams out the door, fully loaded trams every three minutes. So whatever we do with Battlescar Galactica uh, has to be under three minutes, you know, because there's another tram coming over the hill. And so... The maximum length for what they could do with Battlestar Galactica was going to be two minutes and 45 seconds. Um, and so, and, and then there was the whole notion of it's like, okay, you want to have, you know, you, you know, what Jay had envisioned was, you know, we're going to send the tram into outer space. And it's like, no, Jay, that's not realistic. And it's like, okay, well, how about this? What if there's like a UFO on the ground and the tram drives into uh, the UFO? And then inside, you know, they get caught between this pitch space battle between, I guess the the humans were called the colonial warriors, and the robots were with with the Cylons, and and, and again, you know, you got to remember this is seventy eight, seventy nine, where they're they're you know they're making up the plans and they get ready to build this thing. It's and Jay's talking about, you know, let's do laser battles, and it's like. Jay, you understand they do that in post-production? You know, that, that's a special <laughs> effect that somebody does at the desk. They don't actually do that on the set. And so, well, all right, well, how would we actually do that inside of the building? And it's like, well, we'd, we'd have to use real lasers. And, and it was one of these things where it's like, this is the early, early days of, of you know, laser use. And, and so, you know, the... Uh, in order to even, you know, I mean, they wound up creating two different sets of lasers. They had a set of blue and green beams uh, that ran on 22 watts and then a, a red laser that ran on 5 watts. But even then, um, they had to put all these safety protocols in place to the effect of if the tram drove a little too close to one of the lasers, the entire uh, scene, the, the Battle of Galactica scene on the tram tour would shut down and they'd have to dump the building and reset. So, um, you know, so they had, had to put the fear of God into the tram drivers. Like, as you're going into the building, you will stay, you know, right here. And, and more to the point, in order to get clearance to use these lasers, they had to reach out to the U.S. Bureau of Radiological Health which at that time, these were the folks who were literally in charge of public use of lasers. Um, they had to come out to Universal Studios and after touring the Battle of Galactica show building, they had to sign off on all the, the, the safety protocols. Um, anyway, uh, long story short, Dustin, Universal pours nearly $3 million into the construction of this two-minute and 45-second-long addition to the tram tour. With some of that going to a 16-track directional soundtrack, which, uh, thanks to the Universal Sense Around system, I don't know if 
you remember the movie Earthquake that Universal released to theaters in 74, but uh, that was the whole gimmick of it. They had these low-frequency speakers that they'd put in theaters, and whenever you know the earthquake occurred on screen, they'd fire these things up, and you'd be rocked in your seats. But anyway. That sounds like a great idea for one, but I could just imagine as soon as uh, a, a theater owner has this uh, this proposal saying, hey, we want everyone to put these, uh, you know, additions into your uh, your movie theater. And the, you know, response is, well, for how many movies? And they say, oh, just for the one. I could just imagine that conversation would go very well, quickly. you know, it's interesting <laughs> you say that because there was a, um, a, a movie that Universal put out, uh, I want to say 75, 76, called Roller Coaster with Timothy, Timothy Bottoms as a sort of a, a unabomber who, you know, was, was blackmailing the, the, the amusement park industry. And it's, it's a fascinating film to watch now because, A, again, they, they, they tried to shoehorn in these sense-around scenes uh, for the very same reason you're talking about. You know, theaters had this equipment lying around and it's like, look, we installed it for Earthquake. What else are we using these things for? But at the same time, What's amazing is that you get to see what amusement parks looked like in the 70s. I mean, a lot of this was actually shot at Magic Mountain out in California. And just to see that park during its early, early days again is, is, is pretty cool. Anyway, okay, so, you know, again, they installed the sensor around the building. So, you know, when the, the Cylons fire off their laser cannons, you can feel it in your chest. But... Um, the irony is, here's MCA Recreation blowing through $3 million as it rushes to get a Battlestar Galactic attraction, you know, on the route of the Universal Tram Tour, you know, hoping to take advantage of the high ratings that this ABC series is garnering. But as 1978 gives way to 1979, and we've gone from our trio of TV movies to a weekly series, <laughs> the ratings for the Battlestar Galactic of the TV show start to tank, and and then when you factor in that each hour of the sci-fi show cost a million dollars to make, well, ABC was going to tolerate that. It was expensive to make show, and if it wasn't holding the ratings, they weren't going to stick with it, which is why April of 1979, ABC cancels Battlestar Galactica. And how would you like to be Jay Stein, who's three million in at that point, you know, with his Battle of Galactica uh, scene, you know, which doesn't even go live at Universal, uh, you know, uh, the part of the tram tour to June 9th of that year. So, you know, it's a full, you know, six weeks or thereabouts after the show's been canceled and gone off the air. Even so, I mean, a lot of people even today talk about uh, that this was an impressive addition to the tram tour, especially in the late 70s. So you, you know, your tram rolled up to the thing. And there were two animatronic Cylons uh, manning a laser cannon outside the show building. And, and you know, it, 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 it's, I've got the script here. It's, you know, uh, you know so the tram driver, you, you come up over the hill and is like, wait a minute, there's some sort of spaceship blocking the road. And then the centurion who's working the cannon says, halt, foolish humans, you have blundered into a Cylon batter zone. You are now our prisoners. Do not attempt to escape or we will blast you. And tram, tram driver <laughs> is, we're not going, going into that spaceship. What's going on here? And so now the cannon goes off and the, the alien land vehicle 
uh, there was an effect the cannon fired and there was a, a rock across the way that would then smoke. And the centurion at this point is like, move. And the tram driver is like, yes, sir, whatever you say. Door to the show building opens up. Uh, and tram drivers, you're rolling in. It's, it's giving you the necessary exposition. It's like, it seems we're being captured by a Cylon battleship. What will happen inside is anyone's guess. Anyway, you're inside. Uh, you're surrounded by these now 18 different animatronics. And by your command, this group of very strange-looking Earth creatures have been captured while attempting a sneak attack on our battleship. Their general is called Tour Guide. And Tour Guide goes, General? I'm not a general. We weren't attacking anything. Were we, folks? It's silent, foolish mortal. Your fate is sealed. And um, so at this point, the Cylons decide they're going to blast off. So they kick on the sensor on speakers, and you're feeling the ship getting ready to take off. And now a door, light comes in from a door that's open on the outside, and a colonial warrior runs inside and begins firing his pistol and you now get those laser effects I was talking about earlier mm -hmm. and the colonial warrior at one point turns to the tour guide and says get out of here I'll be alright and so he fires a blaster at, at a door which opens at the back of the show building and your driver's like let's get out of here and so you roll back out and you're now as you're rolling back down the hill to continue your tram tour and it's like Ladies and gentlemen, we have just survived the Battle of Galactica, inspired by the television series Battlestar Galactica. So, and and that's when people wish that they were twenty years in advance, where they had cell phones that they could look up yeah. Wikipedia and be like, Battlestar Galactica wasn't that canceled two weeks ago? Wow. <laughs> you know, interesting thing is if you go over to YouTube, um, you can. Uh, there's a wonderful commercial that they did for the summer of 79. Likewise, there's a couple of really decent videos of, of what this uh, attraction was like. Uh, and then you have weird things like the, God, there was a Get Smart movie that Don Adams starred in called The Nude Bomb, where uh, basically the entire finale of the film is set on the Universal backlot. And at one point you have... Don Adams, you know, duking it out, you know, uh, inside of uh, the Battle of Galactica show building. <laughs> Mind you, you know, being very careful about where he steps because of those lasers. But anyway, all right. Battle of Galactica rages at Universal Hollywood from all the way through to 1992, where then because the Universal Creative needed that portion of the tram tour, so they could then install support supporting footers for the Southern California version of Back to the Future of the Ride, uh, which then wouldn't open until June of 1993. So, so this show building gets flattened. Mm -hmm. um, but the interesting thing is that it's not all of it gets tossed into the trash. In fact, there was one Cylon that appears to have escaped the destruction. Um, veteran Universal Studios Hollywood team members still talk about what happened in the mid-80s, where one morning when the tram tour was, was getting started up for the day, the one of the team members noticed that, you know, again, remember, there's this pair of Cylons that are, you know, outside of the show building that have that laser cannon that, you know, they aim at the people in the tram tour. But anyway, they come in one morning, and now there's only one Cylon sitting in the, 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 the laser cannon, and upon closer inspection, somebody in the dark of night had gone over and unscrewed 
you know, one of the Cylons pulled it out and speared it away under, you know, the cloak of darkness. So for all you, you know, Wonders of Life fans out there, Buzzy was not the first to get carried away. Uh, you know, <laughs> this Cylon takes precedent. He, you know, this was the first to be, to be carried off by a super fan. Yeah. And look, at least I hope that's that's what happened here, that a team member took a Cylon home, because I don't know how enthusiastic I am about the idea of animatronic achieves sentience and then walks off the lower lot to to terrorize the people of Toluca Lake. So so a mix of iRobot and, uh, well, I don't know, Transformers uh, or The Simpsons when the uh, they go to... Uh, Oh, Crestly Land. No, not Crestly Land. Itchy and Scratchy Land, where uh, all of the um, animatronics and everything come to life because of a manufacturing error. Uh, but it was funny, when you and I were talking about this before, um, there there was a lot of conversation about what would happen with uh, with the Cylons as soon as um, Back to the Future went in to, to that space. And it was really cool because it looks like a... Um, uh, one of the the Cylons actually showed up uh, back in uh, early 2014. And I'm just doing a, a quick thing just to make sure that I'm getting uh, everything correct. But it looks like it came back uh, for a behind the scenes of Universal Pictures, which actually opened in the former Lucy Attribute Museum. And it was all about um, the basically everything that had happened within the universal uh tour yeah i want to say I, I i think i got to see the iteration of this this was set up for the the year of the 50th anniversary of the tram tour yeah and it closed uh september uh 2015 oh man okay well all right maybe that was the other cylon maybe they, they saved him out of the laser cannon by the way uh 1992 was not the end of battlestar galactica at the universal parks uh universal studios singapore which had its grand opening in may of 2011 they wanted to cash in on the popularity of the battlestar galactical revival mm-hmm. which uh sci-fi channel aired from 2003 to 2009 so when that theme park opened uh, it had a dueling coaster themed around the, this Battlestar Galactica revival reimagining. And the gimmick is, you know, you know, for example, remember when we were talking about dueling dragons where you mm-hmm. could choose to ride the ice dragon or the fire dragon. In this version, you could choose whether or not you rode on the human side or the Cylon side. Um, uh, only problem with this coaster, Dustin, is it was plagued with technical issues. Uh, in fact, uh, you know... <laughs> Kind of interesting, if, if you, you type in, uh, you know, uh, Battlestar Galactica coaster, you actually come across stories where they talk about how seats flew out of the coaster. Oh, wow. Uh, not with people in them, mind you, just they were testing them for the day and a seat came flying out. And so uh, at one point between 2013 and 2015, this coaster was closed for two solid years. While repair crews tried to sort out why the seat supports uh, on this Battlestar Galactica-themed, you know, dueling coaster, uh, they kept cracking. Anyway, it's problem six. It's a a favorite over at the Singapore Park now. And and the interesting thing is that Universal Pictures is eyeballing reviving Battlestar Galactica yet again. Only this time, 
as a series of theatrical movies. Uh, December last year, uh, the studio hired Jay Basu to rewrite a script that Lisa Joy, uh, she's one of the co-creators of HBO's uh, Westworld revival. Uh, she, so Jay's writing Lisa's script. And just so you know, folks, what's kind of interesting about this is this big screen version of Galactica isn't taking its inspiration from the Sci-Fi Channel 2003 revival, uh, but rather what J.A. Larson wanted to do back in 79. You know, that this is, he, they're finally circling back on his, his trilogy idea. So um, anyway, um, look, folks, if you like today's feature piece, this is the kind of stories that Dustin and I will be sharing at our holiday event at the Universal Orlando Resort, uh, which the nice folks at Storybook Destinations are setting up. This is happening mid-November, Dustin, right? Yep. So uh, Friday, November 15th through until Monday, November the 18th. All of the the uh, information is all over at storybookdestinations.com. All you have to do is click up in the uh, the top under the Jim Hill slash Disney Dish uh, section. And yeah, amazing stuff. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, a lot of conversation in the parks as well as you know, we, we have a, a tour of Universal Studios Florida and Islands of Adventure, which I'm assuming we're going to be seeing a lot of construction with Jurassic uh, Park slash world slash coaster that's coming up. And yeah, just a lot of holiday experiences. We're going to be checking out the Universal's holiday parade featuring Macy's, uh, as well as the Grinchmas Hula Day Spectacular. Uh, lots of information. Just head over to storybookdestinations.com uh, for all the information and definitely stay tuned to uh, social media because we're going to be talking a lot about uh, some of the experiences that we're going to be doing down there closer to the, to the, uh, to the event, but you definitely want to be there. Hmm. Here's hoping. Okay, so that's going to do it for this week's Universal Giant folks, but uh, if you can't wait till we do another show, which will probably be in about two weeks' time, Dustin, where can they find you online? Uh, so I'm over at StepsToMagic.com, trip planning, uh, Disney and Universal. Um, I'm also over at the We Like Theme Parks podcast, which is basically, you know, just three guys talking about uh, theme parks, uh, news, ideas, armchair imagineering, that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm over there. But mostly, uh, if you are interested in, in Universal stuff, I've got some really good articles over at uh, StepsToMagic.com, including something that is very relevant for folks going down in August. And it's about attractions that you can get soaked on. So definitely check that out. Um, yeah, Islands of Adventure is definitely a place where you want to bring a towel with you. This is true. Okay, on my side of the fence, uh, the usual pile of crud, folks. We've got the Disney Dish podcast I do with Len Testa. We've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, uh, looking at Lucasfilm uh, with uh, Dan Zahair. We've got uh, the marvelous Disney podcast that I do with Aaron Adams. And coming up shortly, we're going to have the next edition of I Want That, which I do with Michelle Valladolid, and we are talking about Disney merch. Uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do both Dustin and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our individual podcast, we'd really pr appreciate that. Likewise, if you really, really, really like what we do here, uh, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that helps keeps the lights on. And... 
I think that's going to do it for now, uh, Dustin. Uh, but, you know, knowing Universal, we'll still have plenty to talk about when we're back here in two weeks' time. Okay. Uh, okay. And if you really, really, really like what we do here, folks, uh, head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. That helps keep the lights on. And I guess that's going to do it for this edition of uh, the Universal Joint, though. Knowing Universal, by the time we get back here with a new show, there will be lots more to talk about. Absolutely.